0: saw got the, the slap upside the head, didn't he? Because, hey, I can sacrifice and just do a bunch of stuff working for God, right? Just working, just working, external, external, raise the hand and say the prayer and do the card. We'll sign the card, get dunked, jump out of the balcony, cut the church lawn, do whatever they ask you to do. And the reality is you can still be eternally lost. That will never save. You know you're saved because you will be new. Like you will know. You'll go, don't even recognize that person over there. That's the old John. Feel your name. That's the old person. And there will be a growth. There will be a process of sanctification in your life and my life. Not perfection, but we're stumbling forward.
1: Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch.
0: Let's take our Bibles, let's turn to James, James chapter 2. I pray I have a Bible with you turn to James 2, going to be looking at verses 18 through 20. And I pray you have your notes in front of you, uh, something to write with, because uh, we want to be students of the Word. Amen. We want to be in the Word because we know that when the Word is in us, we get transformed for God's glory. And so here in James chapter 2, I'm going to be looking again at 18 through 20. And the title of the sermon, as you'll see there in your notes, is simply this, Foolish, Useless Faith. I know it sounds a little contradictory there, faith and uselessness and foolishness, but we're going to see very clearly from God's Word what this says. And so James chapter 2, 18 through 20 says this, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now look at verse 19, church. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Lastly, verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless As you know from last week, we saw very clearly in God's Word, and go open your Bible for just a moment there in verse 14. I want to give us context as our phrase context is always king is so true. Look at verse 14 and following to make sure we're launching from the proper perspective. It says this, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Good question. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Now here's verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works... Is dead. So remember, church, so here we are, and James is swinging for the fence, isn't he? There are 13 verses here in chapter 2, and they are action packed. Uh, These are some of the most in depth verses, especially for such a time as this in America that we need. Uh, This is all about faith and works, and not either or, but both and. James is going to show us very clearly even more today as we dissect more of these 13 verses of how the two are not extrapolated from one another, but the two go hand in hand. For the true believer in Christ, when the faith is real, the faith is alive. And when the faith is alive, duh, it's not dead, amen? And because it's not dead, here's what happens. Living active faith is always active. Living active faith always takes action. Living active faith always does. It's real easy to be a sayer, but the real question is, are we a doer? Because if we're a doer of what we say and we're bearing fruit, there's good evidence that our faith is real. James right here gave an illustration in the preceding verses. He said, look, if you see a brother or sister in your church, is what he's referring to, that's in need, and you just say to them, hey hope this works out, praying for you, good luck. What good is that? There is something powerful about works. Now, there's this great controversy that's been going on for eons about, hey, it's not about works, it's all about grace. I'm going to show you today, not from my opinion, but from God's Word, that it's not an either or, but it is a both and. And we're going to see this very clearly Now, look here in verse 18, let's dissect this and just unpack it together, just word by word, verse by verse. So 18 in your Bible says this, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So don't miss that. So we got one angle saying, look, it's going to be apart from one another. And the other person says, look, no, I'm going to show you by. Now, this is very interesting. When James is writing here, remember, who is he writing to? Do you remember his audience? His audience is a Jewish culture. So you got to keep this in mind. Anytime you're talking to an audience, you're prayerfully talking to the audience somewhat in their context. So James, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is being divinely inspired to speak to this Jewish culture. It still speaks to us today, Amen but he's speaking directly to them. And as he's speaking to them, here's what happens. He says, look, someone comes into your group, someone comes into your church and says, hey. And they follow through with this thought. Someone says, James knew this because he was living it, that there's always going to be someone that's detracting from the mission. Always. Always. You will always have detractors. Anywhere you have truth, you have detractors. Everywhere that the gospel's being preached, the enemy's pushing against. There's always a Judas in the crowd, so to speak. And someone's going to come on the scene, going to come on the scene and say, I'm going to try to pull away from this because in that Jewish culture, you remember, there was a lot of rules and regulations. A lot of do this and do that and do this and do that. And James says, look, someone's going to say this. Hey, You have faith and I have works. All right, show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. See, you have a little contention going on and the cliff notes as you looked in your Bible is the reality is this. You can't see a person's faith, but you can see works, amen? You can see fruit. You can see obedience. And when you hear the word works, Pulling away from this concept of working for salvation. That's not what James is getting at. He's not contradicting Paul. If anything, he's actually backing up Paul. We're going to see this here in a moment. He is saying, look, your works are not what save you. Remember this. We talk about this all the time. When you are saved by grace, you are saved by that unmerited favor that mercy, that love and compassion where the blood ran red on Calvary. It was the greatest blood that was ever shed. And as it was spilled out through Jesus Christ, our Lord, that unmerited favor was lavished upon us. And though we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, think about that church. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And as he lavished this love, we are not saved by the works, But the works do come from the salvation. Does that make sense? We're saved. We're redeemed. And when that happens, the blinders are removed. Man, we can hear. We're no longer deaf. We're no longer blind. We're seeing clearly for the first time. And as we move forth in this, we move forth going, hey, I want to be well-pleasing. Man, my life is no longer my own. I'm crucifying the flesh. I'm dying daily to self. Man, I want to make a difference. I want to be the one, and I pray you do too, that that leaves that legacy, not for self, but for the glory of God. I mean, don't you want to live to be missed for the glory of God? Don't you want to be one of those? They stand at your funeral, your celebration of life, and they don't talk much about you. They just talk all about Christ in you, the hope of glory. Man, that's the greatest thing that could happen. They just said, man, we don't know about that guy, but we do know this, that his life was no longer his own. That lady, her life was no longer her own. And man, all she did was live for Jesus and point people to the king. See, that's why key number one is so important in your notes. I want you to write this down. So key number one, here it is. As James throws down this challenge. Key number one, true faith will not be in word only, But will be shown, don't miss that, and evidenced by works. Key number one here it is true faith, not false faith, not a false profession, not a false confession, but true faith will not be in word only, but will be shown and evidenced by works. See, our obedience is an outflow of our faith. Think about this are we, it's a question, are we just sane? or are we obeying? Just think about that for a moment. Are we just saying, or are we obeying? I mean, it's real easy to be a sayer, isn't it? Man, we just talk, and we're in for Jesus, and He's great, and He's awesome. And, but do our works, does our action, does the obedience of our life, does it spring forth in such a way that we're not working again for any merit from God? That is grace. It's unmerited favor. But when it's real, church, when it's true, when the heart is no longer your own, here's what happens. There is now a recalibration of the heart transplant that God gave you, and as you now look towards Him, you now do, and you see, and you talk, everything is new. It's different. You delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart, That's misquoted so often. The reality is when you delight yourself in Him, the Hebrew on that is you're flexible and you're pliable. You're now conformed and transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're put into His mold. You now think like He wants you to think. You're doing what He wants you to do. Everything again is just, hey, I'm a living sacrifice. What do you want to do with me? And when you begin to delight yourself like that in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart because now your desires are really his desires. Everything gets transformed. Just everything does. I was thinking of 1 Samuel, write this down. 1 Samuel 15 is a supporting text. So 1 Samuel 15, 22 through 23. And just listen here as as I read this. So, this is Samuel and Saul. These are the two characters here. Of course, the Lord's involved. It says this, and Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight, there's that word again, in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Good question. Great question. Well, here's the answer Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Don't miss that. And to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion, Or disobedience is as the sin of divination. And presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, Saul, he has also rejected you from being king. Do you see this, church? Obedience is mission critical in the true believer's life. It is not a, hey, if I get around to it, if I want to, if I feel like it. It will be your heart's desire of the true believer. If you don't have a desire to obey the Lord, I would go back and check your salvation. I would go back and check it really quickly. Because when the heart is new... This is part of the newness. You will want to do that. I will want to do this. We're not perfect. We struggle. We stumble. Guilty, guilty, guilty myself. But the reality is there will be that longing, that hunger, that thirst. Blessed are those, Jesus says, that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. There will be a desire that I want to be satisfied, and I know I can only be satisfied in Christ. See, Saul got the the slap upside the head, didn't he? Because, hey, I can sacrifice and just do a bunch of stuff working for God, right? Just working, just working, external, external. Raise the hand and say the prayer and do the cartwheel, sign the card, get dunked, jump out of the balcony, cut the church lawn, do whatever they ask you to do. And the reality is you can still be eternally lost. That will never save you know you're saved because you will be new. Like, you will know. You'll go, don't even recognize that person over there. That's the old John. Fill your name. That's the old person. And there will be a growth. There will be a process of sanctification in your life and my life. Not perfection, but we're stumbling forward. There will be a great desire. Did you catch that in that uh, First Samuel verse, by the way? Rebellion, disobedience is as a sin of divination. That's witchcraft. Have you ever equated disobeying to witchcraft? Now, I know what some of your parents are already thinking. I'm reading your minds. I know what you're going to do to your kids this afternoon. They disobey, right? Now, I know you're going with this. But that's how serious this is, that when we disobey, that's what God is equating it to. It is that serious. God does not take this lightly. Just because He's in His passive judgment right now and not striking me and you down with lightning bolts every time we sin, doesn't mean He's standing back cheerleading and going, hey, keep going, it's okay. You know, we'll just, uh, hey, if I can get, uh, you know, six out of 10 out of you, that's good. That's not how this works. He's constantly refining and pruning. He's allowing the refiner's fire, the trials in life to make us more like Jesus, Romans eight twenty nine. I love John chapter 3. Write that one down as well. John chapter 3, 36. John 3, 36, it says this. Whoever believes in the Son, capital S, has eternal life. And then he says this phrase. This is interesting. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now just think about this. So whoever believes in the Son, remember this. We've talked about this before. But when Jesus talks about believing in Him, even John 3:16. When you look at the original language on that, that word belief is not passive, it's active. There is action. This is not just Jesus says, hey, walk an aisle and you know, do the external. That's not what he's saying there. Just say the sinner's prayer and poof, you're in. That's not how this works. It is a belief that the heart has been so radically gripped. That the heart sees its sin for what it is. That the heart says, oh, this is just wickedness. I see the king. I see the sacrifice. I'm giving everything over to him. Just total abandon, total surrender. That's what Jesus means when he talks about believing in him. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Do you see how the salvation, the grace, and the obedience go hand in hand. How about verse 19? So take a look at that in your Bible, James 19 of chapter 2. So James launches from 18, and then he just stuns and shocks the reader, shocks us when he says this phrase. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So think about this. So he's looking at his audience, he's talking to his audience, Jewish culture, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, you have what's called the Shema. And there's the Shema. It talks about, hear, O Israel, the Lord is what? The Lord is one. So he's, in context, identifying with his audience, saying, okay, you believe the Lord is one. You do really well. Golf clap. Great job. Almost very sarcastic at whatever. Good work. Because he then says this phrase, Even the demons believe. Even the demons have an intellectual belief. And that's what James is pounding at in these 13 verses. Salvation is not about an intellectual ascent, doing mental intellectual gymnastics in our heads. We've dumbed it down. We've regulated it to that. I've asked people often over the years of ministry, tell me about your salvation experience. Almost 10 times out of 10, this is what I hear. Well, I was in a church, and I got up, and I walked the aisle, and I talked to the pastor, and and I said that prayer, and boy, it was awesome. That was great. What's happened since then? Not a whole lot, okay? Not a good sign. Like, actually, a really bad sign. Because when it's real, when that faith is real, it will be accompanied by the works. Not for salvation, but from salvation. Don't miss that. Not for it, but from it. I was processing that even more, and I couldn't help but notice that word in the ESV here. It's a shudder. I don't know what your translation might say. Some say tremble. But look what James is doing. He says, okay, Jewish audience, you believe God is one. That's great. That's actually a really good thing, by the way. We believe He's one. Amen, church? We believe that. But just intellectually acknowledging this won't save. And James proves his point right here when he says, even the demons believe this. So if I camp out on an intellectual faith that is just based on me believing only from just an intellectual standpoint, I'm just acknowledging, yeah, there's a God. Yeah, I believe in him. But the heart has not been ripped wide open. I I am not, from Acts chapter 2, cut to the heart, grieved, broken, contrite, humble. If I haven't gotten to that point, it's just intellectual. Look, I'm missing heaven, so to speak, by what? About 12 inches from the head to the heart. It's just this do, 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 right? Bunch of rules and regulation. Got to keep this and do this and keep this and do this. And God, through His Word, is saying, look, Don't fall into this trap because that's the whole point of the grace. The whole point of the grace is you can't do enough to accomplish, but the grace is saved through faith alone, as one person said, but the faith is never alone. There's going to be always obedience, always desire, not perfection. No one in this room is, but there will be a thirst, that hunger, that desire that says, I want to please the one who took my place. I mean, when we begin to really, truly understand the depth and the gravity of our sin, I mean, have you, ever, have you ever wept over your sin? I mean, just thought about it and just wept? Just grieved? When we begin to understand the depth of our sin and then understand the depth of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, Oh, that one act of man led to this unrighteousness. But one act of the man Jesus set us free. When we see this and the joy that set before us, if you will, knowing that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father, that he is not our soon-and-coming king. Oh, he's already been crowned king. He's King Jesus. We're not waiting for him to be king. He's king. And when we think about that, we see clearly that even the demons believe. Think about that. Hey, intellectual belief, good. So do the demons. By the way, they've just one to you because they're actually trembling as well. And that's the point James is saying. Don't have a faith that's just talking, just saying, yeah, Jesus is good. We talk about Him. We pray occasionally. Are we living a life that has works of obedience that prove our faith, that give evidence of? That's why key number two is so important. Write it down. Key number two. Just acknowledging belief is not equal to true belief. Just acknowledging belief is not equal to true belief. Even the demons do this and tremble. Think about it like this. Two words come to my mind profession. So you make a profession in Christ. Good thing, by the way. Great thing. We love it. We want it. But is there proof from the profession? I've seen this happen a bunch over the years. Someone does all the external. I'm going to accept Jesus, accept Him, right? And then poof, they're gone. Jesus never radically transforms someone and then leaves them untransformed. He doesn't transform a life and then, oops, uh, well, you were a tall task. I didn't realize how tough you were going to be. Hey, I got you partially there, but I'll have to try to work on you later. Uh, That's not how this works. Jesus transforms lives. And as we think through that, it reminds me of Ephesians. Write that down, Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10. Now, this is interesting because Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, the first part of it is what the opponents of this text in James, who say James is contradicting Paul and he's off the rails. When you only read half of the Scripture, it gets you in a lot of trouble. Here's what the word of God says right here. Ephesians chapter two, listen closely to the holy word of God, verses eight through 10. For by grace, you have been saved through faith, amen. And this is not of your own doing, amen. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, amen. So that no one may boast, amen. And they'll stop right there. Go, see, I told you so, told you so. Yeah, James missed this. No, he didn't. Read the rest of the verse. Here's what the rest says For we are his workmanship. Don't mess this, church. Created in Christ Jesus. Why? Why? Right there it is. For what? I didn't write this. For what? Good works. Did you catch that? I gotta read this again. Here it is Created in Christ Jesus as his workmanship for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good works. What are good works? It's obedience, action, fruit from the life that's been transformed, that we might walk in them. When you see that phrase in the New Testament, what does that mean? Here's what it means. It means to tread about cautiously, but it goes much deeper. It simply means this, how to conduct your life, how to live your life. So when you look at that verse right there, and we're understanding from key number two, that just acknowledging Hey, I was 10, and, you know, I, I raised the hand, walked the aisle. Great. Fantastic. That's awesome. I actually had someone recently. You now tell me about, you know, your, your grandson. He told me about his grandson. Well, where does he go to church and, and what's going on in his life? And, you know, well, not much right now, and, you know, it's been years. And, but he got baptized at the age of seven. Okay, that's great. What's God done in his life? Nothing. okay. So he got wet at seven. Yeah, he got wet at seven. This is serious. This is eternal is what this is. We don't want to play around with this stuff. And when you look at this text here, we are created. So this is what happens. Do you notice in this text there that you see there in Ephesians 2, that first comes the grace, first comes the unmerited favor, and then what happens? Then follow the good works. Did you see that? Not the other way around. So when the grace is real in your life, it is going to be an outflow. I love 1 John. Write this one down as well. 1 John 2, 4. 1 John 2, 4. This one, uh, just kind of in our face. Pretty simple what it says. Whoever says, I know him, capital H, but does not keep, literally does not obey, his commandments is a liar, okay? Not a compliment, And the truth is not in him. So do you see how important this is? So when I disobey, I'm not walking in truth. Matter of fact, it's witchcraft, there's rebellion. Let's be honest what it is. So when I willfully disobey, even though I'm a pastor, well, I've come off the rails, got to get back on the path. I'm not walking in truth because it's so easy to be deceived, isn't it? It is so easy to be deceived. There's so much nonsense, so much false out there, so much untruth. That's why you have to be in the Word. If you're not in the Word, if you're not in the truth, how will you know what's false when it confronts you? if you're not in truth, if you're not writing on the tablet of your heart, if if you're not binding it around your neck, if it's not a a frontlet to your eyes, if if it's not your life, if if it's not the principal thing in your life, what are you going to do when you're confronted with the temptations? What are you going to do when you're confronted with the nonsense of the world? What are you going to do when the enemy pounds your sails over and over and over and over? What are you going to do? That's why the truth is so critical. It's the air we breathe. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father, but through me. He didn't say he's a way, a truth, a life. We all don't just die and end up in the Disneyland in the sky. That's not how this works. There is one way to the Father, and his name is Jesus. People say, man, that sounds really exclusive. Cliff notes, it is. There's only one way to the Father. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're doing no one any favors by saying, you know what, we'll fudge this a little bit. Really? No, it's through Jesus Christ. He's the way and the only way that you can be saved. Think about this, faith that is alive. Don't just say it, just do it. That was creative, wasn't it? I know, yeah. Don't tell any shoe companies I use that one, right? But isn't that so true? About your faith and mine, it's good to talk it. Don't misconstrue. We want to be talking about it. I'm just convinced, church, to be blunt. I'm convinced. I think the world is tired of the American church talking about their faith. I think they're tired of it. Because I believe they've figured out that in many instances, we don't really believe it either. I think they're waiting for us to live it out. Well, if I can talk it and talk it and talk it, but if I don't live it out, which I've been guilty of, the damage I've done has impacted so many people. The ripple effect is vast if we're just a bunch of sayers and not a bunch of doers from the salvation How about lastly, verse 20? Here it is in your Bible, verse 20. So James has been pretty bold, hasn't he? Now he comes off that top rope with a a spiritual elbow. Here he comes. And he asks one of the most direct in-your-face questions, verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Anyone wake up this morning going, I can't wait to get to church and be called a fool? Anybody? Do you want to be shown? Here's what he's saying. Are you willing to recognize? Are you willing to come to grips with reality? That's what he's saying. Are you willing to stare reality in the face? Look in the mirror and go, okay, wait a minute, time out. Heart check, heart check. I can blame this person and and be a victim here and you know, do this and do this and do this. I gotta look in the mirror, face the man, the woman in the mirror, and am I willing to be shown? Am I willing to be Showed in such a way that I'm going to come to grips with. That's powerful, isn't it? There's something that happens when we're willing to come to grips with something. There's a humility. There's a contrition. There's a heart that even the countenance changes, right? No longer bold and, and brash as far as ego and arrogance, but, but it's one of those that boy, it's flexible. The, the heart is. It's pliable. It's, it's, Lord, here, have your way. Are you willing to be shown, oh, foolish? Person, empty, vain, void of truth, defective. That your faith, apart from works, is useless, idle, barren, fruitless, dead. Not a lot of good descriptors here, is it? That's why key number three is so important. And, and I pray you write it down because the two tie in. That they, They're bedfellows, if you will. Here it is, key number three. Dead faith and foolishness go hand in hand. Dead faith and foolishness go hand in hand. I love the book of Proverbs. Being a chapter a day, will keep the enemy away. And, And you read Proverbs today, Proverbs 9, because today's the ninth. And tomorrow you read Proverbs 10 and you get in there and, and you mind it because it's wisdom, it's truth. You will write it on the tablet of your heart that that you and I might not sin against God, that, that we do it in such a way that it, it refreshes, it rejuvenates, it, it gives us strength for the day. And as, as we conquer the day, we're able to not just get through and, and survive, but we're able to thrive in it. And as we we move forth, we see that Proverbs has the wise man, also has the foolish man and has the wicked man. And when you look at the wise and the foolish throughout Proverbs, you see this common theme just woven all through, that as you look at the foolish and you look at the wicked, that is, here's what happens. You see men and women that are devoid of understanding. See, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And here we see that dead faith, which is not alive, is also linked to, to foolishness. You can't extrapolate those two. You see it over and over. a matter of fact, when I think of this, I always think of 1 Corinthians 1.18. Write that one down. It, it's a great verse that will prayerfully strengthen you in your walk with the Lord, because in our walk with the Lord, it can be discouraging at times. Amen? It can be discouraging. It can be challenging. There's days you go, wow, this is really, really hard, Lord. I don't know if I can do this any longer. I think that's when the Lord's going, hey, I got you right where I want you, because as long as you're leaning on me, God says, we're going to get through this. Well, if you're leaning on your own strength, John, put your own name in there. We can't manufacture enough strength to get through it. It's too hard. But 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, and I love this. It says, for the message of the cross or the word of the cross is folly, literally the word foolish, to those who are what? Perishing. So do you see it? So perishing people have a faith that's dead. And foolishness and folly go with dead faith. But to us who are being saved. Man, if you're saved today, if you've been rescued, there's nothing greater, amen? I mean, there's nothing greater if you've been rescued. It is the dynamite, the dunamis, the power of God. We have power through the resurrected Lord. We've been taken from darkness to light, from the grip of Satan to the power of God. We have literally been transformed into His kingdom, into His glory. We're no longer slaves of sin. We're children of the King, amen? We're not slaves to disobedience. We're slaves to righteousness. How about Proverbs 4.19? Proverbs 4.19. The way the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Did you catch that? Let me read that again. Proverbs 4.19, the way the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what over they stumble. When I read that verse, I always think of carpet. And so often it's easy, isn't it, to, hey, if you're going to clean your house, let's say maybe, uh, you know, you're you're sitting there at your house and the doorbell rings and it's like the neighbors and uh, they're new in town and they want to come in. And you're like, oh, no, what do we do? So like you're picking up piles of laundry. You're throwing it in the oven. I mean, you're just doing whatever you got to do, right? But you're putting stuff under beds and closets. uh, You're trying to lock doors, get them to shut. It's amazing what we do to try to clean the house, right? And sometimes what we do is we'll maybe pick up carpet and maybe you sweep something under there, right? Well, what happens if we do that in our lives? We sweep it under. We'll not deal with it. Let's just hope it works out. Hope it goes away, right? And we sweep it, and we sweep it, and we sweep it, and we sweep it. What happens? Well, the carpet gets really big, doesn't it? I mean, it gets really, really big. And you start to what? Trip and stumble over it. It's like Proverbs there, that the wicked begin to stumble in this darkness. They don't know why they're even stumbling. See, one of the things that we got to be on our guard about is as our faith is being lived out through action, through fruit, through obedience, we got to be really, really careful because the reality is bad company corrupts. And if we're hanging around people, and this is always the hard one. Let's say that you've got a friend, man, you've known them for years, and they're your friend, but if they're talking foolishness, and they're gossiping, and they're spreading lies and innuendo, and whatever else is going on at the workplace, you have that toxic environment, maybe it's on the ball team, maybe it's in your family, Perhaps it's at your church. We can't give a free pass because many times we get blinded by those who we're closest to. And they may be walking in deception. And if we're not careful, we get sucked into it. We start drinking the Kool-Aid, don't we? Well, that's what they said. And now what happens is the thing is off the rails. Innocent people are getting hurt. Sometimes the damage is irreparable. All if we would have had faith that was an action that would do the hard things, that would do the hard things, to be willing to not take the shortcut and the easy way out, but to say, you know what, we're going to confront this head on to get health, to bring health into our home, our business, our ball team, our church. I mean, think about this for a moment as far as this active faith in that regard. I made a few notes here. I said this, think about the context of a home and a business and a ball team and a church. Healthy people are drawn to healthy organizations. And unhealthy people are drawn to unhealthy organizations. Pretty simple. And then I made this list. So prideful people love prideful people. Gossipers love gossipers. Deceitful people love deceitful people. Troublemakers love troublemakers. Selfish people love selfish people. Spiritually diseased people love spiritually diseased people. Say that 10 times fast. Foolish people love foolish people. And again, bad company corrupts. You got people talking nonsense in your ear and you're not in the word, you're gonna start believing nonsense. That's why you gotta be in the word. It's mission critical. It's not, hey, somebody just check off a box, shh, got that over with for today. No, you gotta be in it because it's gonna transform you. And when you and I are in the word, we will spot the enemy's lies so quickly. And when that friend who's trying to get in there and cause division, and you hear them talking, and they're talking, and they're talking smack. You're looking at the Word going, hey, buddy, hey, sister, it's not good. I'm going to call you out, and boy, you nip it in the bud like that. Think about these verses here, about this action of faith in this context here. Romans chapter 16, Romans 16, verses 17 through 20 says this, I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. Avoid them. Did you catch that? Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk, here we go, we're talking, right? We're not doing, not fruit, not bearing godly fruit. We're just talking, just talking smack. Here it is smooth talk and flattery what do they do they deceive and that's their whole point they deceive the naive remember this satan has come to kill steal and destroy he only has one card in his tool belt and it's the lie and so if he can plant lies just a little bit i mean how much of the truth has to be distorted to make it non-truth just a little bit right Boy, if I can tweak it here and tweak it there and want to fit the agenda, because you guys know this, when you read John 3, 17 and following, it's very clear. Evil men and women hate the light. Why? Why do they hate the light? Because their evil deeds are going to be exposed. You guys ever watch those crime shows on TV occasionally? You're a good Baptist, you watch those crime shows on Saturday night, amen? And you watch those, And what happens? Well, you know what happens. Well, somebody murdered someone, right? And usually 10 times out of 10, why did they do it? Because they were about to be exposed. Man, when we are about to be exposed for who we truly are, we will make sure everyone else goes down besides us, won't we? And that's exactly what James is alluding to here from the context of faith and works. Part of this works and obedience is to stand tall for the truth of the gospel. Do it lovingly, do it graciously, do it mercifully. Amen, amen, amen. But we can't sit on our hands while maybe one or two people destroy the whole ship. No, no, we stand tall for the gospel. And we do it in a way that will honor the Lord. Ephesians chapter 5, I love this one. Ephesians 5.11 says this, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Did you catch that? I mean, that's like up in our face, isn't it? So through God's word, as Paul's speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church in Ephesus, he says, look, here's the deal. Have no fellowship with the works of darkness. I mean, if you're hanging around people that are dragging you down, and taking you away from Christ. And by the way, these can be like people that profess Jesus. Man, I've seen some crazy junk in my lifetime. I mean some crazy junk. Stuff that you would think is fiction if I told you. I mean, this is how the enemy works. Just covert operatives, if you will, working for the enemy. Have no fellowship, but rather expose, bring into the light. You say, well, that's going to be painful if I have to tell my friend that I've known for 10 years that, Man, they're spiritually off the rails and they're spreading gossip and slander and deceit and lies. Well, it is. Jesus hung on a cross. That was pretty bad. Spurgeon said it like this. He said, as for me, I have braved the sneer of men because I have feared the frown of the Lord. Don't you love that? Spurgeon said, I have braved the sneer of men because I've feared the frown of the Lord. So how about our takeaway question? Here it is. Takeaway question. Real simple question. Am I walking in foolishness? Real simple. And when you think about that question, am I or you walking in foolishness, we're really asking, is our faith dead? I mean, just think about that. Am I or you walking in foolishness? If we are, I pray that this action step for you, but for all of us, will be even more resolute in the action step. And so here it is, action step. I will be determined, don't miss that, to walk in God's wisdom and truth. So, think about this. So, if we walk in God's wisdom and we walk in His truth, man, those are glorious bumpers of life, aren't they? Man, they will keep us out of the ditch of life. We'll be walking in holiness and purity, pursuing Him because we're craving His wisdom, we're craving His truth. But you know, it really does come back to the desire, doesn't it? And what is the desire in your heart today? What's the desire in my heart? What do you long for in life? How about this? Picture for just a moment, picture where you want to go in life. Like right now, let's do this together as an exercise. Picture, just picture where you want to go. What do you want your life to look like in a year? What does that look like? Where are you going to live? What are you going to drive? What's your bank account going to look like? I mean, just think about these things. Now, let me ask you this question. When you get to where you're dreaming of going, just think about that. When you get to where you're dreaming of going, will God be there? Will God be where you're dreaming of going? See, when we think in that context, well, it really begins to set in, doesn't it? Because we can be a sayer, but are we a doer, an obeyer, from a heart that's been radically transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, I can get up here right now and just say, hey, there's a tornado outside. I could say, hey, there's a tornado outside. Tornado outside. All right, let's close in prayer. See ya. That'd probably be real motivating, right? There's a tornado outside. Hey, who wants to close in prayer? Imagine, though, if I said, I come running in here I come running out of the back. There's a tornado. I am screaming. I'm like, quick, deacons, get up here. Ushers, get up here. Let's assemble the the women and the children. Let's get them to a safe place. Uh, Let's show them the way. Mark out the path. There's urgency. There's passion. There's action going on. You're going to believe me, aren't you? You ever thought about that in our witness for the Lord? There's a hell. Yeah, things are really bad. Do you think that motivates people to okay? And the Lord, He's real, but He's real. Can I share my story with you? Can I share just for a brief moment of who I used to be? I was over here, and I was living this way, and man, I was miserable, and and I, I couldn't figure out life, and it was always a struggle, and. And then Jesus came in and just made all things new. And Oh man, it's not been easy, man. It's been still a struggle to some degree, but but it's been a joy ride and we're moving forward. I'm stumbling forward. I wonder if people aren't buying our message because they've kind of figured out we don't either. Are you a doer or are you a sayer? Let's pray. Father, we... We come before you and and God, we just lift up our our minds and our hearts and our souls to you right now, Father. God, I pray that as we're seeking revival and awakening and reformation all throughout this community, God, we know that that when we cry out humility and get broken before you, and we just say, God, bend us, break us, move us, shake us, remake us like only you can. That's when you do the work because We're just pleading with you, God, as we recognize how great our sin is, but we recognize how infinitely great your grace and mercy are. So God, as you speak in this time, as we reflect, as we ponder the word, God, don't allow us to leave here today nonchalantly. God, don't allow us to leave here, to get in the parking lot and and forget your word, But do something right now, God. Stir Holy Spirit, would you? Stir. That we're praying that you would move in such a way in this place, that you would have your way with us, that we would hold nothing back, that just everyone is totally surrendered to you, all in for Jesus. Even if none go with us, we're still following you.